0: To the city church podcast we hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message if you would like to find out more about the city please log on to our website www.thecity.sg I want to read uh, first of all uh, a verse uh, that's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verses 1 and 2. You can turn on your Bible or open your Bible or just read with me on the screen. But this is what the writer of Hebrews wrote and one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Say, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. From this passage, we know that uh, we are in a race. Turn to the person next to and say, You are in a race. And anyone who's in a race or in any competition knows that they should run to win or they should play to win. Last night, England lost. Unfortunate. <laughs> this evening, we will have a World Cup champion. But every team that plays in any competition, they play to win. And as runners in this race, we must run to win. That's why Paul wrote in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said... As a Christian, I have finished the race. I mean, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. You may have heard uh, the story of John Stephen Aquari. He was born before most of you were ever alive. He was a marathon runner for Tanzania in the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. He came in last and no last place finisher in the marathon ever finished quite so last. He was really slow. He came in last and the reason for that is he got injured along the way. He hobbled into the stadium with his leg bloodied and bandaged. It was more than an hour after the rest of the runners had completed the race and only a few spectators were left in the stands when Aquari finally crossed the finish line. When asked why he continued to run despite the pain, Aquari answered, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me here to finish. I want to say this to all of us this morning, that when God launched us into this race, called the Christian life, He didn't launch us to just start the race. He wants us, to finish well and to finish strong. Somebody say amen. Amen. And I really believe that the key to finishing strong is focus. And this morning I want to speak to us on focus and worship and try to bring these two seemingly separate concepts together. Focus in worship. A professor at Northwestern uh, studied Olympic uh, medalists and she discovered that bronze medalists were happier than silver medalists. And here's why. She discovered that silver medalists tend to focus on how close they came to winning gold and so they weren't satisfied with silver. But a bronze medalist tend to focus on how close they came to not winning a medal so they were just happy to be on a medal stand. I tell you, whoever wins tonight, alright, France would be happier than the runner-up. Guarantee. Sorry, did I just prophesy that Croatia will, will, will win? All right, what I mean is Belgium. What we have here, then, no, no, come on, it was a prophetic word. Come on, I'm a prophetic person. We're a prophetic church. But I do hope that Croatia will win. I love the underdogs. I love the underdogs. I know there are some French supporters here, but French supporters. But I love the underdogs because. I am an an underdog. Come on, somebody. All right. But focus is the key to finishing strong. And I think this study reveals a very fascinating facet of human nature that your focus determines your reality. It is true. Your focus determines your reality. How we feel, people, isn't determined by objective circumstances. If that was the case, silver medalists would be happier than bronze medalists because they had an objectively better outcome. Some may say amen, right? But however, we f- how we feel isn't determined by objective circumstances. How we feel is determined by our subjective focus. Complicated? Let me rephrase that. Uh, all I'm saying is your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. Are you with me? Your internal attitude is more important than your external circumstances. I love how the poet John Milton said, he said, the mind in its own place and in itself can make a heaven out of hell or a hell of heaven. That's so true. The mind in its own place. And all of us know people who can find something good to focus on even in the worst of circumstances. And all of us also know people or friends who can find something bad to focus on even in the best of circumstances. When you parent teenagers, you know that. <laughs> My kids have uh, pleaded with me not to use them as sermon illustrations, so I will not do that. But you know that you know, if, if they grew up in a family that don't speak too much Chinese at home, if they get 48 out of 100, they are, they are happy people. <laughs> they said, wow, that's amazing! I got 48. We know people that gone through exams and uh, they they, they get all A's and one B and they feel depressed. And we know our friends who get all B's and one A and they're like out of this world, right? So all of us know people that can focus on the bad even when they do well. Amen. We all know that. And this is the universal principle that I've discovered in my last many, many years of being a human being and in my last 15 years of being involved in ministry. We tend to see what we're looking for. We tend to see what we're looking for. And I believe there are basically two types of people in the world. We have got the complainers and the worshippers. There are only two kinds of people in this room. The complainers all the worshippers, complainers can always find something to complain about. Worshippers can always find something to praise God about. All of us develop hypotheses about everything all the time. Then we look for evidence to support our hypothesis and ignore the evidence to do the contrary. For example, if, if you decide you don't like someone, you'll notice everything that's wrong about that person. But if you're in love, head over heel with your babe. Come on, man, I'm trying to be relevant. (laughs) To a small section. If you're head over heels in love with your very special someone, you tend to only notice those things you love about them. Like, oh, so cute how you've got amazing eyebrows. Wow, your nose is perfect shape. You only see the good and not the bad and the ugly. Because we all develop hypotheses about everything all the time. Again, we see what we're looking for. So you, may, so you may be asking me, Daniel, what does that have to do with worship? Can I say this, church, that a worshiper makes a predecision to look for something to praise God about even in the direst of circumstances. And I pray this morning that as a church, we will make a premeditated cognitive commitment I'll explain that in a moment's time. <laughs> to be a worshiper regardless of the circumstance that you're in. Because I've met many. In comfortable Singapore, you walk into a beautiful place like that, you can look at the band and say, wow, that person can't sing. Oh, that, that crack on the floor, I can't worship. And all the aircon is a little bit uh, warm, to, to, I can't raise my hands because otherwise I'll sweat. I, I, I mean, but then you go to a place like Mozambique where our dear friend Axel spent half a year there and you see people on their faces in the mud, fully in the presence of God. It's like glory, presence, without good sound system, without a beautiful microphone, without you know, a camera on them. They are just worshippers. There are no complainers in Mozambique. Why? Because they have made a premeditated cognitive decision to worship God regardless of their circumstance. Someone say, amen. amen. See, all of us go through bad days, whether it's in your work, whether it's with your friends, whether in your marriage, all of us go through. Terrible times, bad days. I've said this many times. We cannot schedule a trial, we cannot lock into our calendar a bad day. But all of us go through bad days, we go through crisis. And one of the worst crises you can ever read about in the Bible is Acts chapter 16. And I love Acts chapter 16 because Acts chapter 16 has become like one of those life stories. What happened in Acts chapter uh, 16? If you read the Bible, you would know that Paul and Silas are in a prison cell in Philippi. I want to encourage all of us to read the entire chapter for yourself. But let me just set the scene. Paul, the apostle, cast out a demon from a fortune teller. Now, this person was fortune telling because of this demon. So her master doesn't like it because now she lost her ability to fortune tell and hence there's no income. So business is affected and... The master became upset and so he got Paul and Silas arrested. Acts chapter 16, verse 22, we picked up the story. Let's read that. It says, The crowd joined, excuse me, I can't read here, in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and bitten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Next verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and the other prisoners were listening to them. Strange, it didn't look like that when I was doing it. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Next verse. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. was about to kill himself, a bit like the drama that we perform at the camp because he thought the prisoners had had escaped. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be safe? What must I do to be safe? See friends, if I'm Paul and Silas or all Silas, (laughs) And I'm emotionally and physically and spiritually spent. I'm drained to the last drop. I've got nothing else to give. I've done everything that I thought was right, yet my backs are bleeding from the beating. Black and bruised all over. A mob formed against me. And now I'm being thrown into the maximum security in a Philippian dungeon. Now, if you know anything about Philippian dungeons, back in those days, it's not like the prison that we have today. It was just a hole in the wall. It was probably you know, some hole into the ground. All right? And the inner dungeon is probably the deepest part of uh, the prison. And I also found out that there was no sanitary system back in those days. right? So when you do your business as a prisoner, the way they do it is that it flows down you know, from the upper dungeon into the inner dungeon. And so where Paul and Silas were was probably the collection point of all the refuse and you know, of, of, of all the poo-poos and the feces and you know, whatever you call it all right? in your modern-day vernacular. It has become a swear word nowadays, but it's all in that place. And so Paul and Silas were, were bruised, beaten, battered, drained after all that, that they've gone through. Now they're smelling bad, and now their feet are soaked probably, you know, in human wastes. It just doesn't get much worse than that. And that's why I thought verse 25 was amazing. The Bible says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. Yes? Around midnight, Paul and Silas were angry at the jailers. Around midnight, they feel like It's unfair. God, we've done our best and this is what we get for serving you. They were pointing their finger and blaming God and upset. No, right? That's not what the Bible says. It says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Listen, friends, I don't know what your prison is this morning. All right? Most of us probably have not been to a human uh, prison like what we read in the, in the Bible, but perhaps you think your job is a prison. Perhaps you think your family is a prison. Perhaps you think that your marriage is a prison. Whatever prison you think you are, listen, your response will get the attention of the people around you. The other prisoners are listening. The other prisoners. There will always be people peering into your little conversation that you're having with yourself or with people, and they are listening. Some of you are prison prison, maybe the upcoming O-levels, exams. I hate life, I hate school, I... People are listening. Some of you, maybe the job that you're in, I hate my bosses. I didn't like my supervisor. They are just terrible, ungodly, terrible people. People are listening. Are you a complainer or a worshiper? Let me share with you something I've learned from 42 short years of being a human being, of 25 years of walking with the Lord. This is a sermon that's close to my heart. I've, I've tried my best to put this message into practice as a young believer, now uh, as an older, more mature person. See, when I get into a spiritual or emotional uh, slum, it's usually because I have zoom in on a problem. Whenever I get upset, or when I lose my cool, or when I become terrible to live with, a grumpy grand, uh, no, a grandfather, no, a grumpy father. A terrible boss. (laughs) It is because I zoom in on a problem. Like my son is terrible. Or, you know, the... Colleagues are terrible. I mean, i was zoom in, the church in trouble, you know, and I start to become cranky and concerned and worked out. But it's because I zoom in on a problem. I'm fixating on something that is wrong. I'm focusing on the wrong thing. And nine times out of ten, the solution, listen carefully, church, is zooming out so I can get some perspective is to zoom out so I can get some perspective. Sometimes we've got to zoom out and look at the big picture. So you may be asking me, Daniel, how do I zoom out? Let me give you a one-word answer. Worship. Worship. I've got an African, come on. Worship. Worship is taking our eyes off our external circumstances and focusing on God. There's a verse that says in the book of Psalms that I've looked at all these things, my enemies are successful, everything else that they are doing are flourishing, and look at me, I'm terrible, blah, 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 until I enter the sanctuary of God. And that's why he regained the Psalmist. He regained his perspective. See, friends, that's why I look forward to church. That's why you know, I've got worship music in my phone. That's why the best thing sometimes when, when you are in a prison is to pluck your air pots into your ears and walk around singing to yourself. Even though the rest of the world may think that you are, you are crazy and beside yourself, you are just in that zone where you zoom out and get a fresh perspective of who God is. Somebody say Amen. 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 Of who God is. Yes. You see friends, we need to stop focusing on what's wrong with us, what's wrong with our circumstances and start Focusing on what's right with God. Paul and Silas could have zoomed in and complained about their circumstances. They could have said, God, we cast out demons in your name. This is what we get. We were on a missionary trip and this is where we ended. We got beaten, thrown in jail. Instead of watching our back, you know, look at our backs. It's bleeding from beating. They could have complained to the cows come home, but they made a choice to worship God in spite of their external circumstances. Church, here's what worship does. Worship restores spiritual equilibrium. It helps you regain your perspective. It enables you to find something right to praise God about even when everything else seems to be going wrong. Worship is zooming out and refocusing on the big picture listen it is refocusing on the fact that 2,000 years ago Jesus Christ died for our sins while we were yet sinners Christ died for us it is refocusing on the fact that God loves me when I least expect it when I least deserve it it's refocusing on the fact that God is going to get me to where he wants me to be regardless of my circumstance it's refocusing on the fact that God is that I will have eternity with God in the next life where there's no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no mourning, no pain. Did I I say no pain twice? No pain! (laughs) It is refocusing on the fundamentals of our faith. It is reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ is the pioneer and He's the perfecter. It's taking our eyes off our circumstance and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. I know this is so basic, but I like to make the Christian life as simple as possible. Hear and obey. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Everything will will be fine. You may say, Daniel, you are too simplistic. Yes, I am. I don't think the Christian life is complicated. I don't think that walking with God is hard. Now, there will be challenges but we can find joy in the journey. Come on. Come on, guys. That's what happens. God restores the joy of our salvation and we regain our spiritual equilibrium in worship. It's not easy. Nothing is more difficult than praising God when everything seems to be going wrong, but you have learned that when you praise God in your most difficult uh, times and season, you have realized that God loves the purity of your worship. That's when praise, Andre has taught us that, becomes a sacrifice. That's when we please God in spite of the mess that we're in. Because your worship isn't based on circumstances. Your worship is based on the character of God. Come on. Come on. George Bernard Shaw, not a believer, I think, but love how he phrases things, how he frames it. People always blame their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances, he says. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them. I love it. They can't find them, make them. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. Is that the best worship set? In, back in those days, there was no drums, there was no keyboards, there was no band, there was no hill song, no battle music. There was nothing. There was just poo and pee and bruised back and blood flowing down um, their, potted, uh, their tattered shirts, and that became their worship environment. And they praise God regardless. Yeah. Yeah. You see, friends, worship is reframing our circumstances. That's that's what worship is. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor who wrote about his his experiences in the Nazi concentration camp in his famous book called... Come on, there there are some scholars here. Viktor Frankl. Frankl. It's a famous book. (laughs) Men's Search for Meaning. (laughs) Viktor Frankl. It's a very powerful book. it says... In that that book, basically everything was taken away from these prisoners. They were stripped off their clothing, their pictures, and their personal belongings. They even took away their names and gave them numbers. So, Frankel was number 119104. They called them by the numbers. And everything was taken away except one thing. And Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. I think I should read that one more time. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. See, friends, I'm absolutely convinced that the most important choice you and I make every single day is your attitude. Parents, is that true? With your kids, you can tahan everything that's wrong about them, except that's a terrible attitude. Right, parents? Yes, yes, yes. Come on! Making excuses is true! Being rude, Parents, being rude, being nasty to, your, to, to the siblings, All right, we can overlook anything, like bad grades fine, but bad grades because you don't study, attitude problem, no good, alright, I mean it's true, if you have done your best and you got 49 out of 100 for your Chinese, I'm the happiest dad. Because I see you in your books and you're trying to get 51, and I love that attitude. But if you just say, "Sarah, Sarah, I can't do well because I've never spoken Chinese in my life," and so here I am, I got 30 out of 100. You should be happy that. <laughs> no, I'm not happy because that's terrible attitude. It is true. And I think the same is with the Father. I think the same is with with the, uh, 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 the Lord. Can I say something? That all of us stumble and fall. That there's no one perfect in this room this morning. That no one will ever be sinlessly perfect in this life. We will always miss the mark. In our attitude, in the way we speak to our telco on the phone, I'm guilty of that. We spoke to some of our members getting into arguments with strangers along the road. I mean, we all felt terrible. And when we mess up, listen, we can come back to God and say, if any man could, uh, missed the mark, right? They would just confess their sin and say, God, I'm so... Lord, I'm just so sorry. I tell you, the Father loves it. The Father is not looking for perfect children. He's looking for children like you and me, parents, with a great attitude and say, God, I missed it. And yet, I know you still love me. Papa, can I still go for that holiday, please? Do you know what? All parents want that. Likewise, with the Father in heaven, the most important choice we make every day is our attitude. And your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. Let me rephrase that. Your outlook on life determines the outcome of your life. Do you, do you know that? Your outlook, this is a Daniel say, all right? So there are a few of these sayings that you should just, Daniel says, all right. The, your outlook on life determines the outcome of your life. Can we say that to the person next to you, please? Your outlook on life determines the outcome of your life let me unpack that if you have a critical or complaining spirit you'll complain till the day you die you have got a twisted disposition everything that you see is bad everything that you observe negative critical complaining spirit and do you know that 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 complaining spirit actually caused a generation to miss the promised land do you do you know that And for 38 years, they wandered around uh, the wilderness because they were complaining. God gave them 10 tests. They filled all 10 tests. And in all 10 tests, they complain, 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 complain. Even to say 10 times, to say complain, I get tired. It is the complaint that snagged them. Come on, church. See, your life will get worse and worse because you will accumulate more and more negative experiences. But if you have a worshipful spirit, life gets better and better. Why? Because you, have, uh, you are accumulating positive memories. So one way or another, focus always determines your reality. And I believe, listen, that our response ability is one dimension of the image of God that's in us. What do I mean? We have free choice, like God. We are response-able. We've got the ability to respond, like God. We have the ability to choose our response in any set of circumstances. That's wired into our DNA as human beings by God. Response-ability. We have the choice to respond negatively, positively. I say this to people all the time. Listen, I believe... The hallmark of maturity is response. That's the, that's the thermostat, a thermometer of how we measure uh, our maturity. That's the barometer, excuse me, of how we measure our maturity. It's in our response. Everything is perfect. Of course, we'll be happy. If I tell my kids tomorrow, no school, yay, dad, you are the best. Tomorrow, I'll give you a thousand bucks, shop all you want, yes, you are the best. Tomorrow, you'll be studying for five hours, otherwise no TV. Dad, you are terrible, you are wicked. They miss the heart of the Father because the same heart that wants to bless them with a thousand bucks to shop and to go for holidays. It's the same heart that wants them to excel in their studies. But when we miss God's purpose and intention, when He allows us or when He puts us through a test, our response shows how, we, how mature we are. And our responsibility basically reveals our depth of maturity. And Paul and Silas were in prison. Like Victor Frankl was in the concentration camp. Their bodies were chained, but you can't chain the human spirit. You can't chain the heart of the champion. Come on. That's what Victor, Victor frankl discovered in the concentration camp. That's what Paul and Silas, Silas modeled 2,000 years ago. Their bodies were chained, but their spirit soared. Yeah. And this is one recording I wish... Steve Jobs was alive then. I wish that we have got the iPhone to record down what they were singing. We can play back. It's one track that all of us should go to Heaven's Library and just ask uh, Gabriel, who's the messenger, to let us listen in to how they sounded like 2,000 years ago in that Philippine dungeon. I, I don't think they, they were singing in sync. I don't think that they were harmonizing. But I tell you, church, listen. Have you ever heard someone who can't sing sing at the top of their voice? We have, every day, in the toilet. <laughs> they were just singing like they are in a concert. I tell the friends, that's something that's so pure. <laughs> now I'm not suggesting that in church you sing out of tune and just raise your voice, but if that's who you want to be, I tell I salute you. It, it is true. Alright, Jason, Andre, me were tone deaf, if you're a worshipper. You know, and that's why, I can, can I just tell a personal story? You know, there are a few stories I grew up, and you know, I've, I've, uh, as, as I said, this is not a fresh, this is not like a new message, it's, it's fresh in my heart, you know, when I was just praying, God, what should I do, because you're, you guys are well taught by Mr. Andre Tan. But, so I said, God, what? And the Lord spoke to me and said, share your life. This is your life message. I love it when people, were, when people get all in in their worship. Uh, one, one of our first few baptisms, <laughs> Jason was leading worship at the beach. And Sean Mark, Sean, one of my favorite people in church, he will call me up and say, Pastor Daniel, I won't be in church this Sunday. You know Sean, right, Sean? Sean! Sean has got an amazing ability to memorize song lyrics. He doesn't need any song list or song sheet. At the baptism, we'll sing an old song. So Sean knows this song. But Sean isn't the best singer, like me. All right, He can't hold a tune, like some of us. So when Jason was leading worship, it was raining that day. We were all cramming this pavilion, which means that the rain was outside. We were worshiping before we dunk people into uh, the sea. And as Jason leads worship, Sean was just next to Jason, next to me, and he was singing that song at the top of his voice. You know, we can't even pitch. We're like, "What key is this?" But I tell you, at that moment, the father spoke to me and said, "Son, this is the way I want all my children to worship: abandon, reckless." Worship before the Father. That's the purest form of worship. And I believe that's exactly how Paul and Silas sounded in the prison cell. They weren't keeping a tune, but they were just singing. I don't know what song they sang, but they sang with a conviction that caused their fellow prisoners to listen. They praised God at the top of their voices and that choice to worship sets off a chain reaction. sets up a chain reaction. We all want to see miracles. Andre is starting a sermon series on miracles. I want to just jump the gun by saying that one of the keys to miracle is worshipping when you are in a dire circumstance. I grew up before... The healing uh, uh, ministry was democratized, right? Now everyone, prayed for the sick, was seeing healings breaking out. But back in those days, we have to wait for the man of God to come, right? Because this guy has got the healing gift. And the guy who's known for his healing gift is Benny Hinn. Some of us don't know who that is, but Benny Hinn was a healing TV evangelist. Not uh, lack of controversies in his life, lots of controversies, but definitely has got a healing gift. And every time I watch his video or every time I show up in one, one, one of his rallies, I'll feel God's presence. Not because you know he's, uh, he, he's like, he's like uh, Bill Johnson carrying God's presence. No. Worship. He sings all the super old songs. Hallelujah. And he will sing it for like 10 minutes. Take it higher. Take it higher. And then he will go, Hallelujah. And he will go, or he touched me, and no, he's he's a he's he's an okay singer, but he's not an on-retainer. Right? He can't sing, or and we we'll would spend half an hour just worshiping, taking the higher. The band's great, and then he would know that something shift in the atmosphere, and he would know that the warmth presence of the Holy Spirit just start to show up and moving around the auditorium. And you knew at that point in time that that whether Benny is there or Benny is not there, healings will break out. You just know it. Benny Hinn, in spite of his controversies, had learned a secret to access the miraculous realm, worship. And it's the same in this story. See, Albert Einstein said, you can't solve a problem on the level it was created. And when problems are created on a human plane, it must be solved on a supernatural plane. Are you with me? And that's what happens when we worship. You see, friends, worship changes the spiritual atmosphere. In fact, worship charges the spiritual atmosphere. I don't think Paul could have planned this miraculous jailbreak. To make the, the long story short, there's an earthquake, the prisoners are set free, they, they didn't leave. And the jailer who was about to kill himself got saved. His entire family is baptized in the middle of the night. Church, we cannot script something like that. This is written by the Holy Spirit. We can't plan miracles. But when you worship God in the worst of circumstances, you never know what is going to happen. Worship is a key to access the miraculous realm. Worship is the key to your deliverance in your prison, whatever that is. It is. Worship sets the stage for miracles. Worship in this story causes an earthquake. So worship causes spiritual earthquakes that can change the topography of your life. Worship is shifting the tectonic plates of your circumstance. Come on. It may not change instantly, but it will change your life. Worship is the way we stay positive in negative circumstances. It is not just a placebo, it is a reality. No matter how bad things are, as a follower of Christ, you and I, the pain is real, but as a more tangible reality, there is. You can either choose to confront your circumstance naturally, or you can fight the battle in the supernatural plane. There are so many stories in the Bible. When the armies of uh, Judah, right? Or, or, I can't remember the story, was coming against Jehoshaphat. I mean, he sent the praise ban out. It's not the most logical warfare tactics. What? Worship changes things. Amen? Yeah. And the key is focusing on the right reality. Do you know what? I'm coming to a close very, very soon, but do you know what? I read this fascinating statistics. Research indicates that the average person talks to himself or herself 50,000 times every day. You know, all of us are talking to ourselves, either internally, you know, to people, or just walking around, we talk to, our, to ourselves. Like, what should I do later? What should I go for lunch? We just talk to ourselves. Right? We're always talking to ourselves. Any guess on what percentage of self-talk is negative? 80%. 80% of self-talk is negative. We say negative things to ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. People don't like me. I'll have cancer. I'll die young. I'll have this. 80% of self-talk is negative. We say negative things to ourselves all the time. So here's what happens. We let what's wrong. Listen, what's wrong with us? Keep us from worshiping what's right about God. We're focusing on the wrong reality. I'm such a terrible parent. I'm messing up parenting. I'm doing such a terrible job. I can't even take care of one child. How can I have three or four? And we 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 start to blame ourselves, self blame, self doubt. I'm terrible. And we focus on what's wrong with us and not turning our eyes on what's right with God. You see, that's what I'm trying to say here. All of us have premeditated cognitive commitments. And that means we tend to see what we're looking for. A pessimist will always see something bad in a good situation. And an optimist will always see something good in a bad situation. I've learned to... Make pre-decisions. I've shared this story with you many times, but let me repeat myself, right? I was looking at my leaders when I was growing up, and many of them were amazing, gifted, charismatic leaders, And but they felt as leaders, right? So their cell group that they were leading, strong would become cell group leaders, and they were being stepped down, and they stopped coming to, to church. They blamed their... Uh, zone leaders or the pastors and uh, and then they stop and they lose their faith. And so I see that pattern play out time and time and time again. Or I see people involved in ministry, look at the leader overseeing the ministry and he or she is not a perfect person. So look at all the faults, all the flaws and say, I'll never serve again in ministry. I I, I see all these human patterns playing out. I was a young person. I don't know where I learned this from but I said God, those are human beings that are imperfect. God, you are perfect. And so I make a pre-decision. I say, God, if one day I ever become a cell group leader, my eyes are on you. I said, God, my eyes are on you. Alright, regardless of whether I fail or I, or I succeed as a cell group leader, I'll always praise you and serve you. In fact, I said, God, if my cell group closes down, if I'm no longer a cell group leader, no more title, guess what, God? I'll still love you and serve you. And then I became a zone leader and I saw my zone leaders who will step down, you know, and the same story. I said, God, if I ever stop being a zone then all I am, uh, all, I'll, all I'll become is a self, I'll love you and praise you. And that story kept going on. Same. Pastoring a church, I said to myself, okay, we'll take a risk. We'll step out, we'll plant this church. If we fail, I'm not a loser. I'm not a failure. I said, I want this forward to be on my epitaph. At least he tried. <laughs> so I said, okay, God, that's what I want. At least I tried. I stepped out and by God's grace, you guys are still around. And by God's grace, I've handed the church over to a capable person. And by God's grace, we'll go from strength to strength. But listen, if this church fell in year four or year five, I'll still be in somewhere in this nation, raising my hands, loving Jesus. Because listen, I've made a premeditated cognitive commitment not to blame God, not, not to blame myself, but to see it as It's a fun journey with God. And that's how I've lived my life all these years. People have like looked at me. Some of you have learned that about me in the last many years. But that's how I live my life. I've lived my life making decisions before things actually happen. I told myself I'll be a good parent regardless of whether my kids behave, misbehave. The testimony at the end of my life is Daniel Troy is a great dad. And I'll say to myself, my children will say that about me. So I take the pressure off myself and I enjoy my parenting journey. And when I make mistakes, you can ask them, I've texted my son and said, I'm sorry, that's bad behavior from that. I'm so sorry. I've done that. Why? Because I don't take myself seriously. I'm learning. Like they are learning how to be a teenager. I'm learning how to be a parent of a teenager. And I'll learn to be a, pa- a grandparent one day. I wouldn't be a perfect grandparent. And now I'll learn to be a great-grandparent one day. <laughs> it's- that's how life, I'm learning how to be a great husband. When I make mistakes, I don't blame myself. I don't blame God. I don't say, God, you give me the wrong, uh, the, the wrong person. No. I say, God, you and, you and me, we will win at this game. Are you with me? I made a premeditated cognitive commitment that I will praise God regardless. I am, I am a child of God. I am God's beloved regardless. And that, qualifies me or pre-qualifies me to be a worshiper. There's no shame. I can come boldly before the throne of grace because the blood has made the way for me to stand before Him. I can squeeze. I like how Bob Sorge said, I can squeeze between the Father and the Son and say, I'm your favorite one. I love it. I love visual pictures like that. I do it all the time. I squeeze myself when I feel and say, God, you still love me? And then I'll imagine the father and the son squeezing me and say, Daniel, you'll always be my favorite. I tell you, I make premeditated cognitive decision. This is called sanctified imagination. It is part of a spirit man, just in case you don't know that. It's a serious point. It's part of a spirit man. (laughs) Intuition, imagination is part of the spirit man. And I've imagined, sanctified, all right, imagine myself doing silly things before God. Like I was there when the Father and Son was talking about me and all I could hear is, well, he fell, but, you know, he stumbled, but, you know, he's always my favorite. And I tell you, I imagine that. You have heard me say this many, many times. It has worked. I'm still here. And that's exactly what Paul was trying to tell us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He gave us a list of eight premeditated cognitive commitments. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Put a, put a bank in the river of your thought life. Put a riverbank, said, River, you will not go beyond this boundaries that I've put in my thought life. Are you, with, are you with me? Don't think terrible about yourself. I've got very short memory of my weakness and my failures. Some, of you, some, of, some people think, oh, you mean you can't remember? No, I can't. I'm a bit like God. I've for, forgotten my sin as far as the from the West. I can't, I can't remember. It has become part of my life. I said this to my, and my wife and I said, you don't remember? So it's come to a point right now where my wife doesn't even remind me of what I've done in the past because I can't remember. <laughs> so why waste time reminding me of what I've done? I can't. You just have to tell me what's the right thing to do from henceforth, I'll do it. of why I've, I, I have through discipline put a riverbank put put riverbanks around this river of my thought life. And say, you will not transgress what is noble, what is right, what is true, what is excellent, what is pure, what is... Just put that. See, a worshiper always finds something to praise God for because they're looking for something to praise God for all the time. And worship is one of those premeditated cognitive commitment based on ultimate reality, ultimate everything else is temporal reality. Your, your struggles, your job, your relationships, your finances, temporary. Ultimate reality. God is good all the time. He is faithful when I'm faithless. He fights my battle. But the battle belongs to the Lord. These are all verses we have, we have memorized growing up. It doesn't change. You've heard this story, but as I was just thinking through this message, it came back. Because I was just in Vietnam uh, recently in the last few months. And every time I land in Vietnam, it brings back a lot of memories. A lot of memories. The first time I went to Vietnam was nine, ten years ago. It was about ten years ago. I landed there uh, and I turned on my phone and I got a message from my wife. Now, backtrack a little bit. That morning when I was leaving for Vietnam to speak in an underground church youth camp in Saigon... Uh, Joy woke up, Uh, Joy woke up, I I was packing and she said, I'm bleeding. You know this story, but if you don't, track with me. I'm bleeding, it's bad. Um, She was pregnant uh, with our number four and uh, she said, we may lose this child. And so I said, do you want me to cancel the trip? I can just always, uh, I, I, I can send someone else or she said, no, no, you go, right? So, I said, okay, go and see a doctor, see what we can do, because it's not the first time. Uh, when, we, when she conceived uh, uh, conceived Melody, same thing, bleeding. So I said, okay, well, happened before, so I'm not so concerned, right? So I, of course, I'm worried, but not so overly concerned. So I left, I landed, turned on my phone. There was no smartphone in those days, no WhatsApp. It was just a simple Nokia 3210, right? Oh, 33 I think so, 331 or something like that. I turned on my phone, message came in. Joyce said, I lost the baby. Went to see a doctor, uh, can't find. Can I show? I have a slide. This is, this, is, this is the first. It's on the 1st of July, 2008. All right, over a year ago. This was the first, uh, what do you call this? Ultrasound, right? <laughs> Ultrasound photograph. And the second, and what you can't see there is misabortion, which means that. There is no baby there. It's gone. And so when I landed, the message came in, and Joy said, "Baby has gone." she went back home, broke the news to the, cho- to the children. Titus cried. Ah, uh, cried. Where well, no more baby. So so he, he was crying, and he was very young then, about uh ten years ago. So he was six. So, uh, he was crying, crying. So I and so said said Joy, uh, and so she said we have scheduled for. I don't know all these terms, but, but basically to clean the womb, remove the, uh, the remains of the womb the same day. All right, So it was at about 3 o'clock. So, so I said, sure, just uh, go for that. I was, of course, very, very sad. And I uh, met my team uh, because I flew, and they flew in on a different flight, and I think. So we met up, and, and uh, they saw me with tears in my eyes. So they said, what happened? And so I said, oh, we lost the baby. So they were comforting me. I went into my room, and, and uh, I said, God regardless, I'll still praise you, so this is my, this is my, almost like my standard response, whether it's bad news, good news, people leave church, I felt wrongly, uh, uh, I felt wrongly accused by people, whatever, right, I'll always go into my zone and say, God, I'll still give you all the praise, all the glory, you know, regardless of what I'm going through, I'll just bless you and praise you, you are always good, I don't understand why, just be with joy as she goes through, I'll just go into this time of praising God. And I could feel as I was just praising, 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 there was a breakthrough. So I knew that, okay, God, regardless, you get all the praise and glory. So I met the team, first time in Saigon, went across the road from uh, the hotel, went for my first bowl of fur, really good. I awesome. was wow, pho, really good. Spoke to the team, we're going for this youth camp, there were 300 kids, it's underground, be careful, there might be secret police, and so, did all these things. Juliana was there, a few of the people were there, were just, okay, just pray together, they were saying, are you fine? I said, I'm perfectly fine. Long lunch, went uh, back to the room, uh, tried to call Joy, she was on her way uh, for the procedure. So I said, okay, just go for it and just let me know what happened after that. And so, I... uh, Went out, came back, and Joy dropped me a text. And uh, she said, you won't believe what happened. I so said, tell me. And so she said, on the way to the first doctor uh, with another friend, Lip Yong's wife, they received a call from uh, my, my, my pastor's wife, from Pastor Yang's uh, wife, and said, hey, you guys should just go for a second opinion. And so Wendy, Lip Yong's wife, said, yeah, why not? So drove, drove, where's the doctor, looked up the directory, and they went to see a second doctor, didn't tell uh, him what happened, uh, didn't show uh, the first uh, photo. So it took a long time to like, scan, 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 can't find for a few minutes or one, for one minute, and then and, this, and they saw a little tiny zero point I, I read, 0.28CM, a little tiny seat that say, "Hey, here's the baby." And and so when Joy said the last period is when and, and all that she uh, the doctor said it's unusual because it is way smaller than you know the time you were conceived. But here's the baby, and I, and I tell you, it was the most amazing experience. And when Joy called me up, I said, "What happened?" My first question is, "How old is the machine of the first doctor?" <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with the machine? We are so men, right? Come on, man. We are just so men. We are like trying to push blame to someone. Should we sue him? I said, but do you, do you know what? We, we all, it's If there's really a baby and the machine made a mistake, we almost aborted a child. Yeah. Or, I was saying to Joy, did God raise the baby from the dead? Yeah. Either possibilities. It's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. And today, I've got my lovely Megan, who just celebrated her, I think, ninth birthday. I tell her, it's a miracle. But my point is this. We need to make a premeditated cognitive decision. Praise God anyhow. Praise God. I'm not saying that uh, if Megan is not here, I wouldn't be praising God. I will still be praising Him. I will still be celebrating God's goodness, God's grace, regardless. Whether we lose the baby, we have friends here who tried many, many times. Alright? And we, and we contended with them for their miracle. Two, mis, uh, two misca- miscarriages that were fear. We prayed, we contended. Now they have a family of uh, many. Alright? So, many, many times, Regardless. My prayer is always this. God, you give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the attitude of a worshiper. Thank God for Matt Redmond who wrote that song. I can sing it again and again. You give and take away. You give and anything. Whether it's a job, whether it's whatever it is, you give and take away. But my heart will always choose to say, blessed be your name. As I close, here's, here's, here's a closing thought. The circumstances you complain about often become chains that imprison you. Often. If you're always complaining about a job, if you know that you are powerful, God has given you the option to choose. If you choose to stay where you are, stop complaining. If you don't think that that's where God wants you to be in, move. Same thing. Of course, in marriage, you you can't contend for it, alright? But (laughs) that's why Go through premarital course before you propose. It's true. Make sure that you know everything about that person before you say yes. Alright, but everything else, everything else, you are powerful. You, You should ask God, God, is this your will for me to go through this? Are you trying to stretch me, trying to mold me? Are you putting me through suffering so I can be more like you? If the answer is yes, Stick it through, but if the answer is no, and you are there all all because you are afraid, you are you are reluctant to step out because of fear. Then you are abusing yourself. It's not God's will. Move. Be courageous. Step out and say, God. Even I've got no job, I trust you to provide. Are you with me? But don't complain because what you complain becomes a change that binds you. Same in, 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 uh, with, with your relationship with friends. If you don't like your environment, don't stay there. If they are crushing your spirit, if they are constantly putting you down, why are you abusing yourself? Why? Fear that you won't be liked by someone else? Come on. The world has got 7 billion people. If you've got no 3, 4 friends, forget it. We, responsibility, we have the ability to respond, right? If we fail God, just say, God, I'm sorry, don't blame yourself. The devil wants to remind you of the things you've said, the things you've done. Forget it. Say, God, I'm sorry, I've missed it, your grace is sufficient, I move on, I will mature, I'll, I'll let this mature me, Amen? right, but don't complain. You are powerful. You have a decision to make. You can choose to praise God in or through your circumstances. It was worship that set Paul and Silas free physically and it's worship that will set you free emotionally, spiritually. Worship sets off a chain reaction. The prison doors fly open. The chains break free. Are there circumstances that you're allowing to imprison you? Have your complaints about someone or something become chains? Stop focusing on what's wrong with you or your circumstances. Start focusing on what's right about God. And that's the way we build a very powerful church here. That's, that's the way you live a very powerful life. I tell you, all of us go through it. Us, the prayer warrior in the front, he goes through it. Every single day, he has, he has to make a decision to us, Andre, who leads a great church, you know, and uh, speaks really well. He goes through it. All of us go through struggles and challenges. You are not alone, and your problem is not unique, and all of us need to make premeditated decision to praise God regardless of what you are going through. Are you with me? But this is how we overcome. Amen. But worship sets the stage for your miracle, for your breakthrough. I... I cannot overemphasize that. I look forward. I look forward whenever I'm down to find myself in that space, in that zone where I'll just tune out and put worship music in. Teen- teenagers, listen. Listen, alright? Pop music would have the same effect. When, I, when I'm feeling down, try this. Alright, when you feel misunderstood by by your parents when you're going through a rough day in school because of peer pressure, when you go through whatever problems, plug in your favorite worship music from from church and see your situation change and see the atmosphere around you change. Parents, same thing. When, when, When your kids are like just beyond what you can even bear, right? My wife just said to me, as cute as Jet is, Jet's very, very cute, right? Super cute. You see... He needs to go for his walks three times every day. When he wakes up in the morning, he will climb onto our bed and say, Daddy and Mommy, up, let's go walk-walk. Up, go out, walk-walk. Every day. And if you don't bring him out, he will go into a frenzy. Like, he will roll on the floor, run around, he will, you know, and we'll have to like talk to him (laughs) ask my children they can tell you very cute but sometimes unbearable and so joy there will be times when she will say to the aunties right? say auntie please help and she will shut herself in the room and she will be in her zone alright so parents I understand that we all go through seasons like that right? where the kids are just beyond us or even in, in our job unbearable bosses make sure you've got songs in your iPod or whatever you call it nowadays that you know will uh, just get you into to, to the zone go to the toilet the uh, cubicle and say I've got big business to do and just plug your your uh, airpods in and just worship God it works so I want to give us that opportunity to tune now. I believe that there are a lot of us here we are going through things, all right. So when you come to worship service like that, your mind is still on that problem. Your mind is still, God, where are you? I can't have a breakthrough. I want all of us right now, zoom out. Then the person next to us says, zoom out, zoom out. All right. So zoom out, whatever problem there is, zoom out, and focus your eyes on Jesus as we sing this song.